with Scott Allen. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in this beautiful world. I am your host, Scott J. Allen, and this is Phrenesis, Practical Wisdom for Leaders. Now, I am a professor of management at John Carroll University in Cleveland, Ohio, USA. In addition, I'm a husband and father of three teens. Now, this is a family endeavor. Will played the intro, Kate voiced the intro, and who knows, you may hear from Emily a little later. I'm also an author, entrepreneur, speaker, and co-founder of the Collegiate Leadership Competition. I love to travel, explore new places with family, and learn from others. Phronesis offers a smart, fast-paced discussion about all things leadership and followership, if we're honest. My guests are scholars and practitioners, and we cover relevant topics and incorporate practical tips designed to help you make a difference in how you lead and live. I am proud to share a few updates. According to Listen Notes, Phronesis is listed as among the top 3% of podcasts in the world because of you. So thank you. In addition, the podcast has two sponsors. First, Phronesis is the official podcast of the International Leadership Association, an association that is near and dear to my heart. ILA brings together leaders and those who teach, study, and develop leadership, advancing leadership knowledge and practice for a better world. Learn more at ila-net.org. My second sponsor is the Bowler College of Business at John Carroll University. At Bowler, we offer several advanced degrees and MBAs, and I'm confident that there's one that will fit your location, interests, and timeline. In fact, our online MBA is ranked as the number one in Ohio and number nine in the United States. We offer international study tours, a contemporary and forward-looking curriculum, and access to senior leaders and flagship organizations. Learn more at business.jcu.edu. You can find links to both sponsors in the show notes. Now, if you like what we're up to, please hit subscribe so you can stay current as we release new episodes each week. You can also share what we're up to with others, friends, colleagues, leaders, teams, students, and others you think will benefit. And now, today's show. Okay, everybody, welcome to the Phronesis podcast. Thank you for checking in wherever you are in the world. Today, I have three wonderful guests, friends. I have Sharna Fabiano. She is the author of Lead and Follow, The Dance of Inspired Teamwork. And she is here to talk about a conference, the Global Followership Conference. I also have Lacey Gray Hunter. She's the director of the President's Leadership Program at Christopher Newport University. She's the co-chair of this upcoming 2023 Global Followership Conference. And Lori Throop, she's an instructor of leadership studies and faculty director of academic success at Christopher Newport University, and she's also the co-chair of the 2023 Global Followership Conference. And that's really our topic today. We are going to discuss everything followership. And to the three of you, I, I've, I've seen two of you like within the last couple of days at the ILA conference, which was awesome and fun and adventurous. Sharna, so sad that I didn't get to see you. Hopefully next year in Vancouver, we'll be back on the West Coast. Hello. <laughs> How are the three of you? Hello. Good morning. It's a pleasure to be here again, Scott. Uh, missed you at the ILA, but it's it's great to chat as always. Well, Sharna, you know, the, I think you are the first three-time guest on the Phronesis podcast. This is a very special moment in your life. I'll send you a certificate. The first three-time I, guest. I feel deeply honored. <laughs> <laughs> this is that turning point in life where everything shifts and we're going to break through, right? And Hello. Lori and Lacey Grace, so good to see the two of you. Thank you so much for being with me today. And I'm excited to jump in 
uh, on this topic, the Global Followership Conference. Yes, thank you, Scott, for having us this morning. We're excited to talk about this. Okay, so to start off, I want to ensure that listeners have a really kind of a grounding in some of this thinking around the topic of followership. I think it was episode five where Ron Riggio said something to the effect of leaders don't do leadership. Leadership is co-created by leaders and followers. And that was a quote that just from the very, very beginning, and Sharna, you may have been guest number 10, with certainly within the first 10 guests. And we had this just really wonderful conversation around followership. And, and I think especially in the West, we tend to lionize the role of leader, emphasize the role of leader, and de-emphasize uh, the role of followers in the equation. And there's some really cool things, and I'm taking these directly from Sharna's book right now. In in The Courageous Follower, Ira Chalef says, you know what? Most of us are leaders in some situations and followers in others. They are two sides of one process, two parts of a whole. Teachers and students form a learning circle around a body of knowledge or skills. Leaders and followers form an action circle around a common purpose. And Sharna as I read this, you're going to say, wow, who wrote that? That is incredible because it is. So here, I'm going to take a section from your book. If the value of leadership still seems more obvious than that of followership, it may be at least partly because we often take followership skills for granted, including the deceptively complex ability to get work done and to get it done well and on time. Unlike leadership training for managers and, managers and executives, companies rarely invest in corresponding followership training for their employees, yet they are frequently disappointed when these invisible skills are absent. Now, you go on to say, ironically, the response is often to invest in more leadership training for managers, reasoning that better leaders will make followers better. This strategy may be partially successful, but what if the opposite were also true? What if effective followers could actually make leaders more effective? Perhaps if we begin to name and articulate the impact of followership skills, investment and training in them will become just as critical as investment and training in leadership skills. Wow. So Sharna, kind of bring us into some of your thinking around this topic. I think that's just beautifully said, beautifully said. Thank you. Yeah, I do believe that. I, I do believe that. And I'm heartened, you know, since we had that early conversation, Scott, that there's more and more conversation around followership. I, I'm hearing it from all directions. And at the same time, I want to acknowledge that it's it's a, almost like a psychic challenge that we've been you know, we've been trained, we've learned about leadership for so many decades, and the word follower and followership still has a little cringe effect on it. And I want to just acknowledge that because it's important to acknowledge it in order to move past it. Mm. And I think there are a lot of cultural reasons for that, that we don't need to get into here. But just naming it is, I think, important, because then we can say, all right, yes, we, we have a little bit of resistance to this. It's all right, we're going to stay curious about it. And see what else might be there. When we do get a little curious, even about our own resistance to it, we see these invisible skills. Oh, okay. Yeah. Actually, when I'm leading a team, it does really matter if people are 
showing up on time, paying attention to me, you know, following up on the little details that they promised, maybe bringing me a piece of information that I didn't have before, that really influences my next decision as a team leader. Maybe there's expertise in that team that means it's better for not me to lead for a certain week or a certain meeting. That's to my benefit. That makes less work for me, more productive output overall. Those are the things that I I think people are starting to recognize more and more. And when I say those things to people, they, they immediately realize, oh yeah, I've done that. I've been that person. And naming that as followership just makes it easier to fill out the skill set, so to speak. In our first conversation, I believe that episode was called Connect, Collaborate, Create. And you you have this beautiful, you obviously you have a background in dance and you had this beautiful phrasing. My students over and over will kind of highlight that they love that phrasing of inviting. There's ownership in, in being a part of the process. It's important, this word intentionality just comes to mind. Are leaders intentional about when they do step back and move into the follower role because they might not have the expertise, because they might not have the best questions, because they might not be in a moment where they can be the best to facilitate some type of conversation. So in a sense, I mean, I, I, Lori and Lacey Gray and I were in a conversation this weekend, which was a lot of fun with Tony Middlebrooks for probably an hour, one of those side conversations where we had our own session. It was our own session (laughs) that we created on the spot. And, you know, there's a dance there. If I'm intentionally moving in and out of what's appropriate or most appropriate for me to embody in that moment, that intentionality exists, right? Absolutely. And the reason I love the dance partnership metaphor, aside from my own love of dance, is because it's so clear when you have only two people to look at and you can see what they're each doing. And then you begin to see it's not inferior or negative to be that follower partner, actually. It's just another way to connect, collaborate, and co-create. And if I could, you know, encourage any leader out there to do one thing in the next, you know, year, I would say really put some intentionality behind those moments of stepping into the followership role and don't see it as a step down. See it as a step sideways. I love it. I love it. See it as a step sideways. That's just so beautifully said. It's not a step down. It's a different role in that moment, right? Absolutely. And in my tango classes for, you know, years and years, when I could persuade, cajole, entice people into trying both roles, the consistent comment that I received always from those who had, say, only practiced the leader role for a while and then you know, decided, okay, today's the day I'm going to try out following was, oh my goodness, I had no idea. Everything makes so much more sense now. My leading is going to be different now. And it was always a revelation. It's never a soft thing. It was always a big aha, big insight. And I, I see the same thing, you know, in the workplace now when someone takes that leap and says, okay, I'm just going to try it. I'm going to try this idea of stepping sideways and seeing what happens. It's like, wow you see the whole dynamic in a a really different way. Um, Certain things become effortless. You know, I wouldn't say there's no effort in, in, there's always effort in working together, but 
it's a different kind of effort. It's like energizing and it's more complex and we're in a complex world. So I just really think this is the next big step for us. Well, and I think there's a level of not only intentionality, but just mindfulness in the moment. You know, we have never talked about that, Sharna, but that mindfulness truly being present in the moment and sometimes in milliseconds deciding what's my best role in this moment to step aside or to assert. And I think that's so important because you see so many people just on autopilot. They have a role and they think that that's their only role and they aren't being mindful or really intervening skillfully to use a Kansas Leadership Center term, intervening skillfully in the moment and it shuts down dialogue, <laughs> it kills energy. It just really, really can be toxic. Absolutely. I'd say mindfulness is really a foundation for everything, you know, leadership and followership. Yep. And those moments, you know, we would say in dance, you train for those moments, right? You build your skills in the class. And then in the moment that you're performing, right, or or working or you know, at work, then you have the ability to switch in a moment because you've already built that into your body, into your nervous system. I love it. There gets to a place of automaticity, it almost sounds like, right? It's just your way of being. And then in 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 your work, you can get to that place of co-creating in a different way, sometimes more quickly. Now, Christopher Newport University, maybe more than any university that I know of, has had this conversation around followership front and center for a long time in its curriculum. And what I would love to do is go to Lori. Lori, if you would, give a, give listeners a little bit of a set and setting. Help them understand the scope of what you have going on at Christopher Newport University, because there's a heavy investment in, in leadership and followership at your institution. So maybe give people a little bit of an understanding of the scope of what's happening there. But then also, where do the roots of followership being a part of the curriculum? Obviously, you have this global conference coming up, and Lacey Gray will come to you in a few moments to learn a little bit more about that. But take us through that, if you would. Absolutely, Scott. Thank you for the invitation. Um, at Christopher Newport University, we have a substantial program of undergraduate student leaders and followers and are seeking to develop them through both co-curricular and curricular opportunities. And so we have over a thousand students in our president's leadership program, and they all are studying towards either a minor or a major in leadership studies. Wow. And one, it is a lot and it's wonderful. <laughs> A thousand just, students. What's the undergraduate population, by the way, real quick? 5,000. So one-fifth of your students are being trained in leadership and followership. Lacey Gray. Yes. We have over 1,200 students who are part of the President's Leadership Program, which equates to roughly one-third of the student body. Our program was started by our former president, who was a retired senator, Paul Tribble, and leadership is a foundational value of Christopher Newport. And so that is why you'll see the number of students who are part of the program. It's scholarship-based. And as Lori mentioned, all of those students are working towards a minor or a major in leadership studies. Well, and that's so refreshing. You know, I'm working on a paper with with Dave Rush right now and listeners, longtime listeners are going to say, how long have you been working on this paper? <laughs> About a year for listeners at home. <laughs> We're going through another revision. 
But in that paper, we we cite some of the research that suggests, you know, everyone's using leadership as a part of their mission or vision statement, or at least, you know, I think it was 23 of the top 25 colleges of business had leadership in their vision, mission, or principles, but so few are truly investing in it. And so for Christopher Newport to truly invest in it the way that it is, I think it's just incredible. It's awesome. So, Lori, where does this kind of root in the topic of followership come from? So within the curriculum, it ranges from integrating Barbara Kellerman's work in initial exposure of the students to the leadership literature, and they come across followership and Kelly's model of typologies and other elements. At one point, I think where this really sort of had some substance behind it. When we became involved in the collegiate leadership competition and we experienced the team competition element and the idea that that could be embedded within a course, a four credit course. And so for our team's class or what might at other institutions be perceived as a team's class, it seemed a natural fit to focus on the essential element of the responsibilities of teammates to be equipped to respond to a designated leader. And so since our students would have studied followership and various typologies and perspectives on followership, we wanted to deepen that. And it seems a worthy invitation to refine what we follow and how we follow and why we follow and how that changes in different situations. And so we landed on Ira Chaliff's work, The Courageous Follower, alongside Mark and Samantha Hurwitz's work, Leadership is Half the Story, which situates leadership and followership in a partnership that involve distinct and different skills, roles that are dynamic and equal and different. And even in even before that course existed, the response of the students to followership in their courses, they were just fascinated and wanted to talk about it more. And so we've only seen that amplify through our leader follower roles class that Lacey Gray and I teach together. And as well as we're, we're starting a followership course this, this coming semester. And the reality is it's integrated into our curriculum. That's incredible. I love the fact uh, you used a word there that I just really love that it's integrated. I mean, I think it's wonderful to have a standalone course to give it some the in in some ways the importance that it deserves, but integrating it throughout, I think is just incredible. What was so fun in this conversation that we had in Washington DC a couple days ago, really, was how the two of you lit up when you started talking about the results you're seeing from the students as they experience this followership curriculum and as they experience it in action. Lacey Gray, would you talk a little bit about that, the the response? Because I think one way to think about this is, oh, who would want to be a follower? Oh, that's a subservient role. It's less than. I mean, we can just go down the list of, you know, who in a job interview is going to say, when have you been a great follower? All that stuff. But you're seeing something different in the courses and how the students are responding to the topic, right? Sure. Both in the course and outside of the course, once we spend some time helping students reframe the idea of follower and going back to what Sharna was saying earlier, once we expand what it means to be a follower and once we spend some time naming all of the societal negatives that exist around followership, inviting those students to investigate what does it look like to be a good 
follower. We talk so much about being a good leader, but when we spend time focused on what does it mean to be a good follower and equip the students with the skills, help the students understand what the competencies are that require good followership, it changes their mindset. And so as a result of the way that we have structured our class, Students, we focus on that followership. We ask them to provide feedback to one another on how did you show up as a follower? And so students' own perception moves from being negative to being positive. And they're telling us, I'm going into these job interviews or I'm becoming a different person in my clubs and organizations as a result of spending time focused on what does it mean to be a good follower? Students have self-reflected and identified when they weren't a good follower and have taken accountability for the times when they, because of poor followership, have helped a group move slower towards a shared goal. And so we're seeing students be able to take that outside of the classroom and apply it in their different situations. I love it. Lori? I was just going to echo one of the incredible things that we've seen is that when, when the roles are clear, the students have this freedom And they seem to experiment more and they become more aware of how they exert influence and restrain themselves from exerting influence on the process. And so this combination of the collegiate leadership competition practice field with the conceptual understanding followership theory, different perspectives and being asked to practice and demonstrate and make applications. We've had students who say, They didn't really fully understand certain leadership theories until they looked at them through the lens of followership and then they saw their relevance and even honed their ability to select particular leadership styles or skills that are appropriate for a given situation. And so that element of freedom has been a really neat thing to see from the students. Well, and and I have to say that your experience with the collegiate leadership competition and and some of this other curriculum. I mean, I think what's what, what's so fun is that it's been circular. I mean, Lori, you've been instrumental. Lacey Gray, you've been instrumental in helping us even think about how to refine our skill sheet, for instance, within the CLC. How are we acknowledging the leader and the team and their effectiveness, not necessarily just the leader? And so I think it's just so much fun to see how this this evolves and continues because I think you're right. Barbara Kellerman talks about the leader, the followers, and the context, her her leadership system. And I think for every one of us having those three dimensions on our radar, uh, who knows what it'll be five years from now, but at least right now it's advancing the conversation in a really, really nice way. Because I love that title of the Hurwitz's book, you know, half the story, half the story. Lacey Gray. I think, too, when we're looking at this concept of leadership, and you just mentioned within Kellerman's definition, leader followers context, as a society in general, we spend so much time talking about leaders. And Burns is well known for his crisis on leadership. And there was a really great article opinion piece that was in the Washington Post. I think it ran in Bloomberg as well uh, this past summer that discusses the fact that there's now a crisis of followership. And because we have spent so much time idolizing the role of leader, we have neglected to prepare individuals to show up to be effective members in an entire process. So I encourage people, Scott, maybe I can include the link for show notes 
for you, but to read this article talking about the West facing a followership crisis and how much of the world's problems maybe are not going to be solved through leadership, but are maybe going to be solved through followership. And so in my opinion, any opportunity we have to prepare individuals with leadership and followership skills, we should be seeking out those opportunities. Well, if you think about it, it's just silly what we're doing. I mean, to go back just quickly to the dance metaphor, what if we just taught the person who was in the lead role? <laughs> Do you have a great partnership at the end of that, Sharna? What's the answer? I can tell you from experience, and you know, I've, listeners know this intuitively, it does not work very well. No one's okay. happy. <laughs> okay, Lori, and then we're going to talk a little bit about the conference coming up. Yes, I was just going to say one takeaway we've seen from the students, and I'd be curious to hear what Sharna has to say to this, but the students, as they hone their ability to follow and become more mindful of playing that role, they also are finding themselves as better leaders. And so we know that there's this special relationship between leadership and followership, and they're embedded in one another. and and we change in and out of them in various contexts and roles throughout the day. And so I think there's this profound integrated element where as we focus on followers, we also become better leaders. And so I'd be curious if Sharna, those who are taught to follow and are primarily trained in the dance world in the follower role, are they better equipped to lead? Yes, I'll answer just briefly and not go down a tango rabbit hole, but it's a pretty obvious observation when you watch, I'll just say it, uh, women generally in social dance follow first, right? So the majority of, of women learn the following role first. I started teaching women to lead early in my career because it's something I wanted to do personally as a woman. And those classes were lightning fast. These women who were experienced followers picked up leading at least 10 times faster than mostly men who had not had that experience. So that's one thing that was just blazingly obvious at first. <laughs> and and then the men the were just little, kind of befuddled, right? <laughs> yeah. The second little piece of, of tango history here is that the dance itself, and I'm using tango because it's the dance that has the most intense lead and follow relationship. There's no basic step. You have to every step communicate where you're going. That dance began among men working it out together. And the, the path, the learning path for those men at the turn of the century was you learn to follow first. It's like a language. So no one knows who the first tango dancer was who could lead somebody around, but but the culturally, you know, established practice was you're, you know, you're 14, you're 16, you go to the, cl the club, the local hangout, and you learn to follow the other men. And then after a few months, you learn to lead. So that was how it went. And then, you know, that all changed, you know, as the culture changed. But that that's still the intuitive quick method, you know. And so, you know, when I teach it both roles, I say it's not just because I want everyone to do this for, you know, empathic reasons. Uh, this is also a good reason, but it actually works better. Mm. Well, I know that Christopher Newport University is providing a space for people to learn uh, about followership this coming spring. And so Lacey Gray, would you highlight for listeners that opportunity so that 
people can engage on whatever level they want to, because I know there's a call for proposals, so people can actually submit proposals and present at this conference. But I think also, whether you're an industry, whether you're a scholar, whether you're a student, I think you're open to all who are interested in this topic. And so you could just attend as well. Is that accurate? Yes, that is correct. So March 24th through 26th, 2023, we will be hosting the Global Followership Conference at Christopher Newport. And for anyone who's not familiar with where Christopher Newport is located, we are just a stone's throw away from Jamestown and Williamsburg. So about half an hour um, from that area. The conference is going to focus on individuals coming together to investigate followership and then to learn more about the scholarly research within followership, and then also to identify practical ways that we can implement followership in our daily lives. And so you are correct. If you are a student who is engaged in the study and application of leadership, this is a conference for you. If you're someone who's in the C-suite, this is absolutely a conference for you as well. So our proposals are currently open. If you head to followershipconference.com, you'll be able to get more information about the conference itself, as well as view the proposals. And we would love to see a wide variety of proposals. So we're thinking panels, we're thinking workshops, things that get people up on their feet. Uh, perhaps you're also someone that has seen the benefits of followership through something like dance. So this is an opportunity for individuals to put their creative hats on and to come join us in Newport News, Virginia for this conference. Great. Lori, anything you want to add? I was just going to highlight the interactive component. So the nature of this conference will be highly interactive and is friendly to those who are just intrigued about followership and have no idea what the literature has to say and want to learn a little bit about it and be a part of dialogue and discussion and how we can integrate this into improving. Well, and I love that notion of dialogue and discussion. Sharna, I know you were at the first global conference, and so I want to hear a little bit about that. But yeah, again, even this conversation that we had for about an hour, I believe that was Saturday, you know, it's it's complex. It's not something that is completely understood. I think we are co-creating and learning and co-learning in how to think about this as a topic. And so uh, I'm sure dialogue and discussion was front and center at the first conference. Is that accurate, Sharna? Absolutely. And I would say one of the things that was so exciting to me, both as a participant and a facilitator at that first conference in 2019, was how the conference itself embodied the principles of leadership and followership dynamics in a fluid, co-creative way. And I want to give a shout out to the authors of Leadership is Half the Story. Mark and Samantha Hurwitz mentioned earlier, they produced the first conference in Waterloo, Ontario. Okay. Well, listeners, you're going to have all kinds of links in the show notes as to how you can get involved, how you can submit a proposal, how you can register for the conference. All of that good information will be there. Proposals are due the 31st of October on Halloween. Is that accurate? Okay. That is correct. So I always close out this conversation. Uh, what stood out for you in recent times? You all, I just watched this fascinating documentary last night. And for those of you who have been involved in the collegiate leadership competition, you know the name Sarah Safari. Well, there's a documentary right now called Aftershock on Netflix that really, in a very visual way, talks about this earthquake that hit Tibet in 2015. And there are so many concepts, leadership, followership concepts around this whole, I think it's a four-part series, maybe it's three-part, 
but just a fascinating view. So for listeners, Aftershock on Netflix, a harrowing tale, powerful, powerful production. But again, uh, what happens in a, in a, in a crisis, in a, in a space where there's chaos, how do human beings form, whether you're on a mountain or you're in the city or you're in a village, it's really a fascinating, fascinating observation. Sharna, what is, what's caught your attention recently? You know, Scott, it's not a recent book, but it was such a powerful read that what you were just sharing about the documentary reminded me of it. So I'm going to share that. It's Rebecca Solnit's book, A Paradise Built in Hell. Okay. okay. And she's one of my favorite writers. And this particular book explores what happens in the aftermath of a, dis- of a disaster. And to your point, so many incredible insights around leadership and followership and things most of us just aren't aware of if you haven't lived through something like that. So that's my recommendation. Great. Great. Lori, how about you? I have a few different thoughts, but the one that comes to mind is I'm teaching a special topics course right now on leadership storytelling and personal narrative. And Mark and Samantha Hurwitz's text, Leadership is Half the Story, triggered that reminder. And we're working through a text. Part of the premise of the course is not only exploring leadership and how narrative plays a role in that and how leaders utilize story and those skills, but also how story itself shapes and leads our lives. And so Mm. one of the works that we used to do that is Daniel Taylor's book, Tell Me a Story. And it's a really neat perspective on how we follow the frames that we build within our own minds of those stories that we remind ourselves of. And I would say the other thing is we came across at the conference, a new followership text, The Essentials of Followership by Michael Linville and Mark Reniker. And I'm looking forward to dig through that because we are we are just initially exploring and looking forward to dig into followership more deeply. Great. Thank you, Lori. Lacey Gray. Oh, I love podcasts. I have too many on my phone to keep up with all of <laughs> them, too. but I, I have a favorite podcast and it's by a woman named Emily P. Freeman and her podcast is called The Next Right Thing. And her quote regarding her podcast is that we make so many decisions every day. And I know that's particularly true for any of us who are engaged uh, in the phenomenon of leadership. And her podcast is designed to help create a space for your soul to breathe so that you can discern your next right thing. And her voice is calming and the practical wisdom that she shares through her worldview, but also as she discusses world events has provided me with just calmness uh, in the chaos that exists in this world. And so I have so enjoyed listening to her podcast. She's one of those people, if I ever see her at a conference, I'm totally going to fangirl out on her, but her (laughs) podcast, Next Right Thing, always something I listen to uh, every Tuesday. Well, thanks to the three of you for stopping in today. Thank you so much. Thanks for the work that you're putting in to make this conference a reality. Thanks for the contribution that you're making to the field. And again, for listeners, there's a whole bunch in the show notes for you to explore. I'll put some foundational materials in there. I'll put some contemporary materials in there that were just mentioned. And uh, you know what? To the three of you, very, very much appreciate what the, what you are doing, the work that you're putting into uh, taking us to the next level, helping us better understand and co-creating this body of literature. I think it's just wonderful. So have a great day. Thank you so much. Thanks, Scott. Thanks, Thanks Scott. so much, Scott. Bye-bye. 
You heard us mention the International Leadership Association just returned home on Sunday from that conference. What a wonderful few days in Washington, D.C., an opportunity to connect with people from all over the world. I built new relationships. I had some old relationships rekindled. Eric Kaufman, I still owe you a cup of coffee. Sorry about that, sir. And you know what? It was just a great time. And here is another opportunity for you to connect with others of like mind who have shared interests. You know, there's so many cool things happening with this topic. I was speaking with Ron Riggio and Kevin Lowe. They have a paper they're actively working on when it comes to this topic of followership. Dan Jenkins and Lori Throop, they're working on a paper as well, which is going to be exciting to see. So there's just a lot of energy around this topic. And I think it's a nice way to explore, discover, dialogue challenge. I think if we can make more sense of how this topic fits into the whole, that's important work. As always, thank you so much for checking in. Thanks to Lori, Sharna, and Lacey Gray for being with me today. And thanks to you for being with us as well. Take care, everyone. Be well. Bye-bye. You have just finished another episode of Practical Wisdom for Leaders with Scott Allen. To contact me, visit www.scottjallen.net or send me a note at scott at scottjallen.net. I can also be found on Twitter and LinkedIn, so let's connect. Now, if you have feedback, I'd love to hear it. And as always, thank you so much for listening. One final nod to our sponsors, the International Leadership Association and the Bowler College of Business at John Carroll University. And now, here's Kate's twin sister, Emily, with the outro. You've been listening to Phronesis, Practical Wisdom with Scott Allen.